All right, good morning again. And uh, as we kick off a sermon series on work, I would just have one sentence for you on work is God works in mysterious ways, right? And so I'm up here preaching today and uh, looking forward to preaching next weekend. Uh, you'll be blessed in this room with Grace Marie. will be coming in and speaking to you about work, and she's one of our hardest workers here at the church, and so she'll have a, a good word for you. So this is part of last week's or last month's sermon series on catchy title, insert catchy title here. You know, whenever um, they came up with this idea and, and ran it by me, I thought, this is a pretty good summer series. You know, Jeff, you've been doing this for about 40 years, so you've probably got one or two sermons uh, in a file somewhere that you might be able to pull out and use because, you know, it's been 15, 20 years. It would be good. I said, you know, I, I, that's good. So I began to look through sermons. I didn't find any catchy sermons. So, uh, you know, I'm sorry. I want to apologize now for all those sermons that I thought were good that weren't so good. Um, <laughs> So with that said, um, the Lord laid on my heart and, and to speak uh, this message uh, on how to rejoice in a world of rejection. And evidently, he wanted me to preach it again, so here I am. You know, when I was um, a new Christian, well, no, this past forward a little bit, when I was, the first time I heard a contemporary Christian artist, I was a, um, probably a junior in college, and a guy by the name of John Michael Talbot uh, came and sang at our college. He was a former member of the rock band Mason Prophet, became a believer in Jesus, and started singing contemporary Christian music. Now, he had hair way down his back. He, he was a phenomenal guitar player. And he wrote a song, and he sang this song, and the words have stayed with me all these years. And, and the words go something like this. I'm talking about my sweet Lord Jesus. And if he walked here among us, would you crucify him? Would you crucify my sweet Lord Jesus? And then he gets into the chorus. He says, and somehow I think we would crucify him. If he walked here among us again, my sweet Lord Jesus. Now we know that our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified because he was rejected and I want to take a few minutes to look at the reality of rejection for the believer in Jesus Christ and how we react to rejection. The old story is of a pastor who was his tradition to have a word of silent prayer before he preached. Just have silent prayer for just, a, you know, 30 seconds or so. And then he would begin to preach. And one little six-year-old asked his dad, he says, Daddy, why does the pastor have a moment of silence every time before he preaches. Well, his son, the dad says, you know, the pastor is having a moment of silence to ask God to give him a good sermon. The little boy thought for a minute and says, Dad, do you reckon God's ever going to answer that prayer? <laughs> so after 40 years of doing this, I'm praying that God is going to answer that sermon, prayer. Now, I'm going to read to you from God's Word as a basis of this message, I will tell you it's a long reading. So if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? As we look at this passage in Acts 5, let me catch you up to where we are. Jesus Christ is coming into the world as the Savior of the world. He has been rejected. He has been crucified. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. Then he spent 40 days 
teaching his disciples, bringing them up to speed on what God's word was all about. Then he ascended into heaven, and then he promised they would, he would send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came upon the church. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and these disciples are out preaching. And they're also being rejected. And they're also being beaten. And they're being put into prison. So we find in Acts chapter 5, verse 19, but an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, this angel, go over to the temple and preach about this life. They arrived at the temple about daybreak and immediately began preaching. Later that morning, the high priest and his courtiers arrived at the temple and convening the Jewish council and the entire senate, they sent for the apostles to be brought for trial. But when the police arrived at the jail, the men weren't there. So they returned to the council and reported the jail doors were locked the guards were standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. When the police captain and the chief priests heard this, they were frantic, wondering what would happen next. Where would all this end? Then someone arrived with the news that the men they had jailed were out in the temple preaching to the people. The police captain went with his officers and arrested them again without violence for they were afraid the people would kill them if they roughed up the disciples and brought them in before the council. Didn't we tell you never again to preach about Jesus, the high priest demanded, and instead you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring the blame of this man's death on us. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. Now, you might want to get your Bible out if you haven't got it out and you get home, underline that passage. It's where we find ourselves today. We must obey God rather than men, women, the culture. The God of our ancestors brought Jesus back to life again after you had killed him by hanging him on the cross. Then with mighty power, God exalted him to be a prince and savior so that the people of Israel would have an opportunity for repentance and for their sins to be forgiven and we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to all who obey him. At this, the, curia, the council was furious and decided to kill them. But one of their members, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, an expert on religious law and very popular with the people, stood up and requested that the apostles be sent outside the council chambers while he talked. Then he addressed his colleagues as follows, men of Israel, take care what you're planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow Thaddeus who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed, and his followers were harmlessly dispersed. After him, at the time of taxation, there was Judas of Galilee. He drew away some people as disciples, but he also died, and his followers scattered. And so my advice is leave these men alone. If they teach... If what they teach and do is merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to stop them, lest you find yourself fighting even against God. The council accepted his advice, called in the apostles, had them beaten again, and then told them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and finally let them go. They left the council chambers rejoicing that God had counted them worthy 
to suffer dishonor for his name. And every day in the temple and in their home Bible classes, they continued to teach and preach that Jesus is the Messiah. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. And now let's have a moment of silent prayer. <laughs> Father God, speak to us today through your word. Thank you for the example of Jesus, the example of the early disciples, the examples of the church throughout history, and those today who are standing tall to speak the name of Jesus. Give me the words to speak today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I begin by saying rejection is reality. You cannot read the New Testament. You cannot read the Bible without noting how often God's followers, God's prophets, Jesus, his disciples were persecuted, they were rejected, they were attacked, they were abused, they were hated, and they were executed. 2,000 years of church history not much has changed. And I love the words of Gamaliel, that noted Pharisee, but if it is of God, you will not be able to stop them. You will be fighting against God. Now, the word rejection comes from a Latin word, which means to be thrown back. And in the New Testament, in the Greek, rejection means to be neutralized. It means to be disesteemed. It sounds a little bit like the modern word being canceled. These disciples were being canceled. Go, shut down your social media accounts. Don't say anything else about Jesus because you're making us look bad. Canceled. Now, last weekend, I had uh, some family in from Indiana, my sister and uh, her children, and uh, Rachel, who is, I believe is 13. I was kind of practicing my sermon on her a little bit. And I asked her, had she ever been rejected? And she thought for a moment and said, no, I, I've never been rejected. I said, really, you've never experienced rejection? She says, no, because I don't like anybody. <laughs> now, if you don't like anybody, you're never going to get rejected, right? If you don't love anybody, you're never going to get rejected. You know, Lynn and I were, she was, I came in and she was watching a movie yesterday. It was one of those love stories. And, you know, I ended up sitting down and watching it with her. And, you know, the story was about, you know, girl rejects guy. And, you know, they finally get back together. And we just were reminiscing about our relationship. And the times that I asked Lynn out and she said no. And, uh, and flat out rejected the invite. In fact, uh, I've shared this with some of you before. Uh, I would drive down from Kentucky uh, in my little uh, Mustang car that I had that day that burnt, uh, you know, oil. So I, had a, I came in a cloud down to, uh, had to I had to stop and put oil in the car, you know, on the way down. And I get all the way here, nine-hour drive on a date that I had set up with Lynn on the phone and she broke the date, not once, not twice, but three or four times. And how even in the end, I invited, I asked my friend as we were going back to Kentucky for the semester that particular uh, time to please take me by Lynn's house one more time. 
He said, you're crazy, man. You're going to get rejected again. You know, five times, isn't that enough? I said, one more time, one more time. And the rest is history, right? So I didn't give up. Aren't you glad that we don't serve a God who rejects us? Aren't you glad that we don't serve a God who doesn't love us? But a God who loves us so much that he sent his only son into the world that if you believe in him, you would not be rejected. You will not perish, but you will have eternal life. And yet God sends his son into the world. Jesus comes full of love and full of grace and full of truth, and he's rejected. In John 1, 11, 12, right at the very beginning of John's gospel, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, he gave the power to become sons of God, daughters of God, to those who believed in his name. Jesus was rejected by his own people, rejected by his own religion, Rejected by his own family, his closest friends, his disciples rejected him in the end. He was misunderstood. He was demonized. He was slandered. He was disowned. He was mocked. He was executed. But hear this. In the face of such rejection, Jesus never retreated. He never backed up. He never retreated from the purpose that God had for him. He endured his mission to bring salvation to the world, to all who believed him, to all who receive him, are given the right to become sons and daughters of God. Now, Jesus, knowing what would happen to his disciples, knowing what would happen to us as his followers, said this in John 15, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. We're in good company to be rejected for the cause of Jesus Christ. In the early church, the disciples also were rejected. They were arrested. They were persecuted. They were beaten. They were put into prison. And today, over 200 million Christians around the world are facing high levels of persecution, imprisonment, rejection. And the chief offenders... The worst places on the world to be a Christian is North Korea, Nigeria, China, Afghanistan, Iran, and India are the worst. I know in our partnership with India how difficult it is to be a Christian in India. We have a really hard time getting funds into India for the ministries we support there. Why? Because the government does not want any Christian influence in that land. And so we have to be very creative in how we get funds to our partners in places where Christ is being rejected. Now, these disciples were taking the gospel to a pre-Christian world. Can you imagine what it was like to take the gospel to a pre-Christian world, a world that had never heard of Jesus Christ, a world that had to wonder what in the world it meant for God to be born in the flesh, to be born as a baby in a manger, for God to be crucified on a cross, for God in Jesus to be buried in a tomb and on the third day resurrect and to ascend into heaven 
and to say, I'll be with you always through the power of the Holy Spirit, to take that message to a world that had never heard of Jesus Christ. But know this, the Holy Spirit was with those disciples and the Holy Spirit spoke through them and the Holy Spirit convinced people to believe in God. And the world was turned upside down by those disciples. But my friends, you and I have been challenged. We've been called to take the same gospel message of Jesus Christ to a post-Christian world. And what do I mean by a post-Christian world? A world today that is rejecting Jesus Christ. A world today that is rejecting the Bible. A world today that is rejecting God altogether. A world, a culture that we live in is, is pushing God out of the public square. And we are called to take the love of God to these people. And how in the world will we do that? Well, one, through the power of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit in us, God's Spirit speaking through us. We won't, I don't say, I don't ever save, I've never saved anybody. It is the Holy Spirit that brings salvation to people. The people become alive in God, but we are to be the messengers. And with that message is going to come rejection. You can count on it. You can count on it. Today, the buzzword for rejection is being canceled, which means to be silenced, to be shunned, to get shut down, to get fired, to be shown no mercy or no grace, and primarily being shunned or silenced on social media for something said or something that was done. I came across this profound quote from Archbishop Chapeau, who is a Roman Catholic archbishop, and he said this, Evil, I want you to hear this. You may want to write it down. It's not on the screens. Evil preaches tolerance until it is dominant. Then it tries to silence good. Evil preaches tolerance until it is dominant. And then it tries to silence good. We live in a world today that is trying to silence good and trying to silence the very message of God. Why was Jesus rejected? Why was Jesus persecuted? I believe there are several reasons. He was rejected because he claimed to be the son of God who had the power to forgive sins. Whenever he announced that he had the power, when he forgave someone's sins, the, the Pharisees went ballistic and they were determined to crucify him for blasphemy because no human being had the power to forgive sins. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, and, and the Father has given me all authority. And he forgave sins, and he was on the hit list. He was going to be shunned. He was going to be shut down by those Pharisees. Why was Jesus rejected? Because he hung out with sinners. He hung out with the wrong crowd. He didn't hang out with the religious folks. He hung out with the people that needed him the most. Why was Jesus crucified? Because he was willing to confront sin. He was willing to call a sin a sin. You've heard the story of where the Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery to Jesus. And they're going to stone her to death. And it was within their law to do that. And so Jesus kneels down in the dirt and writes something on the ground. He then looks up and says, let him without sin cast the first stone. And they dropped their rocks and they walked away because all of them were sinners. 
Now, church, we don't need to be a church that throws rocks at people. God offers all of his grace. If it wasn't for the grace of God, none of us could be in this room today without any sense of peace. So Jesus says to the woman, where are your accusers? He says, now stand up and go and what? Go and do whatever you want to do. Go and be whoever you want to be. No, he says, go and sin no more. Go and turn away from this lifestyle that has been destructive for you and sin no more. You see, Jesus was crucified because he called people to holiness. Jesus was crucified because he called people to righteousness, that there's a better way to live than living only for yourself. The disciples, they were rejected because they were his followers. And one of the main reasons that the disciples were rejected is because they believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. They saw him resurrected. They saw him alive. And that was a threat to the other religious leaders because they couldn't, they couldn't match that. We maybe could match the teaching, but we can't match resurrection. And church, I want you to know that today the world doesn't want to hear that Jesus Christ is resurrected. It saddens me and angers me. It saddens me and angers me that we have professors in our seminaries that do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they don't believe in it because they can't prove it scientifically. The church has been fighting that heresy for 2,000 years. And I will stand on the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of our faith. The disciples professed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The disciples believed that Jesus' words were true. They believed that he was the source of truth. That they, they remembered that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one will come to the Father except by me. I was scrolling through Instagram the other day, and I came across this little um, short post from Priscilla Shire, a great African-American woman speaker. Didn't realize that she's the daughter of uh, um, Tony Evans, the great African-American pastor. But this is what caught my attention when she said this. She says, we live in a day where everyone is being told, you have your truth, you have your truth, and I have my truth. Here's a little truth, there's a little truth. Everywhere you look, there's a little truth, truth. And we're being told there is no more standard anymore. Whatever feels good to you is truth. But she said, but there's a standard of truth that never changes. That we serve a God that never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's still the one true God, and he's still on the throne. And she says, it may not be politically correct to say it, but there's still only one way to have a relationship with God, and that is through Jesus Christ. And I agree 100% with her. We don't get a pick to, de to define truth. Truth is defined as absolute based on the words of Jesus Christ revealed in Holy Scripture. Now, why do people reject Jesus today? <coughs> I would say several reasons. One reason people reject Jesus and reject the church and reject faith is because of unanswered prayer. 
you know, I had this problem, and I asked God to take away my problem, and, and it didn't happen. And so, therefore, I'm not going to believe God anymore. Unanswered prayer. God says no a lot. Another reason people reject Christ is because of unanswered questions. You know, that I, I can't get my questions answered. I, it doesn't make sense to me. It's science and reason for me. And, and the reality is, friends, if you're going to believe in Scripture, you're going to believe in a relationship with God, you're going to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you're going to have to have some faith. And Jesus, or, or the writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And Jesus said, you can take the faith of a mustard seed and you can see it move mountains. Faith is crucial to being a follower. And there are some people that reject Jesus Christ because they don't want anyone to tell them what to do. Trevor did a great job on that a couple weeks ago, preaching on the absence of authority in our culture today. That there are people who just don't want anyone to tell them what to do. And, and the Bible does set down parameters. It is not the Ten Suggestions. It is the Ten Commandments that we are called to order our life by. It is, the, it is not the suggestions of the Beatitudes. It is the Sermon on the Mount that we are to build our lives around as Christian people. And then someone last week, and I just saw them over in the auditorium, a young man came up to me after my sermon last week and says, you know, I really, your sermon really spoke to me. And he said, but there's, I think there's a one more reason that people reject Jesus today. I said, okay, what is that? He says, because some people are just evil. Some people have chosen to follow evil over choosing to follow God. And so I saw him over there uh, in, the, in the service a little bit ago, and I, I said, hey, I, I added your point to my sermon. I didn't know I was going to do it this week, but I've added your, and he had a big smile on his face. You know, it, it frustrates us, and we wonder, why are people rejecting the love of God? Paul said it long ago in 1 Corinthians, preaching about the cross sounds foolish to those who are dying in sin. See, there, there are people that this cross over here and this cross right here is foolishness. Why, why do we believe in a God who had to go to a cross? And it goes on to say, Paul goes on to say, he says, but it is the power of God to those of us who are being saved from the punishment of sin. There's power in what God did for us on the cross. So today, what is your reaction to rejection? How do you react to rejection? Acts 5, again, our text this morning, they left the council chambers rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. And every day in the temple, in their homes, they continued to teach and preach that Jesus is the Messiah. They were rejoicing and they were joyful. They were glad. There was a deep-seated pleasure. It's not a mood, but a deep assurance that all was well with God, even though all was not well in their lives. And that's the rub, isn't it? Will we rejoice when things aren't well in our lives? Will we rejoice when we get rejected? I hate getting rejected. I hate conflict. I hate when people don't like me. But as a believer, I need to expect it, and I need to learn to rejoice in the midst of it. You know, we need to practice and we need to put into practice the fact that we have inside information. And what is the inside information? Is God's got this. That God has got this. 
that our God is still on the throne. No matter how bad things get in this world, God has got this. It's based on the eternal reality of resurrection, that no matter what happens, even death, it has been defeated. You know, if you heard my message last week, don't answer this question, it's, but, but I'm going to ask the rest of you, what is the shortest verse in the Bible? What is it? Jesus wept, right? How many of you used that verse whenever you were in a sword drill in, in a Sunday school class and you, and you just kept hoping that some smart kid would, would have all these verses so you could use Jesus wept, right? And finally, it would get to your turn and you go, Jesus wept, and you feel good about yourself. Um, let me tell you that in the Greek New Testament, that's not the shortest verse in the Bible. And somebody rejected that thought on social media last week. But anyway, it's all right. I forgave him. Uh, but in the Greek New Testament, the shortest verse in the New Testament is 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Learn that verse, okay? <laughs> we like Jesus wept, but how about rejoice always? I'm going to rejoice always. No matter what happens, I'm going to rejoice. Rejoice always, even in the face of rejection my friends, we can choose to focus on the pain of rejection or the purpose of rejection. Jesus never focused on the pain of rejection. He always focused on the purpose of rejection. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That God has the power to th take whatever happens to you and bring good from it. When Jesus got rejected, he kept right on preaching. He did not retreat. He kept on going. When his disciples rejected him, he kept right on believing. He didn't give up. Don't focus on the pain, but on the purpose. Now, I will tell you that for the disciples, and you read the, the account of the book of Acts and read Paul's accounts in his letters, many, many, many times these disciples were rejected. Many, many times they were beaten, they were chained and God brought them through it. But he didn't always deliver them from rejection. What I mean by that? Well, Matthew was beheaded by a sword. Mark died being dragged through the streets of a city. John died in exile in prison. Peter was crucified upside down. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. Philip was hanged. You get the idea, right? Paul was beheaded in Rome. But none of this stopped the spread of the gospel. Because it was not of men, it was of God. And today there are Christians all over the world in China that are being rejected, that are being imprisoned, and you can't stop the church. The body of Jesus Christ is growing faster in China than any other place in the world right now because you can't stop it. Now I want to give this word, and I shared this in our men's group a couple weeks ago, and it's a good word. But it's one of the reasons that we struggle with rejection in our world, and that's to know what the meaning of orthodox is and orthopraxis is. Two words, orthodox and orthopraxis. Orthodox is doctrine based on the historical understanding of Holy Scripture. I will tell you, as your senior pastor, I have an orthodox understanding of Holy Scripture. I believe in the historic 
meaning of Scripture. It just amazes me that somehow this generation in the last five or 10 years, 20 years, have come to the conclusion that what was understood about Scripture for the last 2,000 years no longer matters. And we're throwing that out the window. And we're starting over. No, I believe in orthodox, historical understanding of the Word of God of, and, and it's been consistent throughout history. But what is orthopraxis? Orthopraxis is about living our daily lives in a way that complements our beliefs and does not contradict them. I believe one of the things that scars the credibility of the church and one of the reasons that people reject faith and reject Jesus Christ is bad witness. Is us Christians not putting into practice what we say we believe. They were walking around with stones in our pockets. We're not living a consistent life. We say we're a believer, but our orthopraxis is out of step with our orthodoxy. So church, if we're going to be consistent, we're going to be effective, we got to live what we say we believe. Remain obedient and remember the eternal perspective of resurrection and this great truth. Hear this, church. Don't reject the rejectors. When you get rejected, and you will, don't reject the re rejectors. What did Jesus say from the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And if you make a stand for Jesus Christ, make a stand for the truth of God's word, and you get rejected for it, Simply pray, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they believe. And the only way you're going to reach rejectors is to keep on loving them and keep on showing them grace and mercy and, and, and throw the stones on the ground. And don't cancel them. Don't cut them off. Keep on sharing with them the love of God. I love what it says in 1 Timothy 2. Paul writes this there. Timothy, the young pastor, he says, pray for kings and all others who are in power over us. Power to do what? Power to punish us. Power to beat us. Power to kill us. So we might live quiet, God-like lives in peace. Are you praying for your rejectors? Titus 3.2, remind the believer to submit to the government and its officers, those ones who arrest us, put us in prison for believing, yes, they should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone, must, not avoid, must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Are you showing humility to your rejectors? And then these words of Jesus, blessed are you when people insult you. Let's say that with me. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then last word to you today. In the face of rejection, do not get scared, do not go silent, and do not be secret about your faith. I love these words from Jude, verse 3. Dear friends, I've been trying to write to you about what God did for us when he saved us from the punishment of sin. Now I must write to you and tell you to fight hard for the faith 
which was once and for all given to the holy people of God. In the face of rejection, we got to contend for the truth. We don't go secret. We don't go scared. And we don't go silent. And I will just tell you as your senior pastor, I'm going to contend for the truth. The biblical truth that was given to us in Holy Scripture. I believe that there is a biblical definition for marriage. I believe there's a biblical definition for gender. And I believe there's a biblical definition for the sanctity of life. And don't be surprised if because of that belief that you don't see the church or myself on the front page of the state newspaper in the near future being rejected for that belief. But I will find that to be an honor to represent my Savior who gave his life for me and says, when they say all kinds of evil things about you, rejoice, rejoice. Now, would you agree with me that our God is a God of love? I believe our God is a God of love. And we've got to love those who reject us. We've got to love those who disagree with us. We've got to love those who, who take the scripture and, and modify it. But our God is also a God of justice. Reminds me of the story of the young teenager that was speeding through his town going 65 into 35. He was stopped and he was given a ticket and he was summoned to appear before the judge, but he wasn't worried because his daddy was the judge. He stood before the judge, his dad, and the judge says, I've got a police report here that you were going 65 and a 35. How do you plead? And the young teenager says, guilty, knowing that his daddy was the judge. And his ju the judge said, that'll be $500 or 10 days in jail. And the son looked at his dad, the judge, and said, Dad. He said, that'll be $500 or 10 days in jail. And then the judge took off his robe and stepped out from behind the bench and walked down to where his son was at, took out his checkbook and wrote a check for $500 and paid the penalty. See, my friends, when God looked down upon this world and saw the sins of this world, he took off his robes and sent his only son into the world. And Jesus Christ, his son, died on a cross to pay the penalty for my sins and your sins and the sins of the world. God wrote a check. It cost his son his life. It cost his son to be rejected, to be beaten, to be crucified. Our God is a God of love. Aren't you grateful? But our God is a God of justice. And we've got to speak the truth in love. Father God, I thank you for the folks gathered here today watching online. And Father, I pray for anyone listening today that feels you've rejected them. Lord God, I pray that your love would overwhelm them right now. And Father, I pray for that person that's rejected you. Father, I pray that you would just keep loving them and help us to keep loving them. Help us not to reject the rejectors. Father God, for someone listening here today that needs to invite you into their life, they would do so right now. And for someone in this room that needs courage, 
to be a bold witness for you. I pray that you give them courage. Help them to love people. Help them to show grace to people, mercy to people, but help them to, to love them enough to tell them the truth. Father God, do a great work through this church. Help this church to continue to stand on your word, on love and grace and mercy and truth. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.